0: Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're in the land of the long white cloud, talking to Brian Bullen about No Place Left New Zealand.
1: For me, it started with a, a sense of frustration in terms of the impact of the church on our nation. You know, you look around and there's, there's churches doing good stuff. There's bright spots. But overall, New Zealand was heading downhill as far as, you know, following Jesus went. It just wasn't having the impact. And I'm thinking, look at all this. And, and yet we've got the good news. So my frustration motivated me to go hunting I'm a computer type, so I hopped on the internet, looked all around the world, where is the church growing? Where is it having an impact on places and that? And I came across this book by a guy called David Garrison on church planting movements, and that sort of started me getting interested in going down this track of looking at multiplication and churches that plant churches and disciples that make disciples and all that. And I'd go off and I'd find all this stuff and I'd go back and talk to my wife, Stephanie, and she'd say, well, yeah, but that's in, you know, Africa or that's in Asia and that's in South America. Where's it happening in New Zealand? And I say, I can't find it yet. And I go off and hunt some more and I'd come back and I've found this. And you know, and she says, Well, how about in Australia? No. Nah. And it basically got down to anywhere in the West. And I found some happening in America, basically. It was probably your blog, I think. The very early stuff I heard a bit of Tim Shaw and Aussie and then Jeff Sundell over in America. And so by that time... Just
0: before you go on to that next piece, um, were you involved in ministry at that time?
1: um, At that stage, no. I'd been a Baptist pastor. Well, I worked on stuff at a Presbyterian church. I'd been a Baptist pastor in two churches. And at that stage, I was actually running three businesses. I had two computer businesses and a small earth-moving business I was running. Um, I had the... Brought the first computer business, grew it up, split it in half, and then my wife maintains I got bored one weekend. So I brought the earth-moving one just for fun. That not quite accurate, but yeah, close. So that's so I was business guy. In fact, I was basically sort of semi-retired. I had the son-in-law doing some stuff and it was coming down. And you know, if I wanted a four-day week, I could have a four-day week and we were earning reasonable money, so it was fine. So that was me at that stage. Background and being a pastor background and having done evangelism the whole time since I got saved, but real frustrated. So eventually, I managed to track down Jeff Sundell, which is pretty impossible. I actually tracked down his wife and sent her an email and said, if you are related to, connected to Jeff, I'd really like to talk to him. So I got a phone number, rang him, and he put me onto this. Oh, there's a guy down close to you, he says, who's doing it? Turned out it was Tasmania. Now, in New Zealand terms, that's not close, but in Australian or American terms, it probably is close. So I ended up coming to a community of practice in, I think it was Sydney, that Jeff came down to and went from there with a friend of mine across to Tasmania where Ben Armashore was and spent a week with him, watching him in action and watching the chaos and all the fun and games that happens when all this sort of stuff's starting to happen. Um, So that was what got me interested. But by the time I got to that stage, God had called me back into ministry and I was up here in Kirikiri. So I did that after about my first year here in Kirikiri. So I was in this thing where i have back pastoring a normal church, but looking at how do you do this thing where you make disciples who make disciples. And I started experimenting with folk in the church and started experimenting with folk. I was connecting around the place. And I, I got to the point where I really wanted to, to get this happening. I was seeing it to a small degree, but I listened to folks say, "Oh, you, you can't do this part time. It has to be full time. I'm going, no, nah, no, nah, God's called me here to this church. I'm sticking here with that. So what I did was, was I went part time with the church, basically ended up half time and I spent the other half out around the area, sort of wider than just Kerry kiri, starting to look at how do I do this? I labelled it my experiment and doing things differently. The, because the first person really that was my, my big contact point straight after I went half time, came out of a YWAM team that came up and did some door to door. And I got this contact, which I tracked down and very long, convoluted, only God could do it process. I ended up in contact with this married lady, Amy, who's actually not sure how old she was, there, sort of mid-twenties, mid to late 20s. And she was sort of my my entrance person into her whole extended family. And I ended up doing a Bible study in her home. Her and her husband said yes, they were interested. So started from there. First night, there was four of them. The next night, the next time, there was five of them. We were meeting weekly. I get to week four, and I've just finished doing an illustration explaining what was happening when Jesus was crucified and how he'd taken all our sin on him, so that left nothing on us. And, I mean, when I get it, I get it. And she looked at her husband and said, do you get it? Now, both of them were believing because they'd had a miracle healing, but they didn't really know what they were believing in. They didn't understand it all. They'd had no discipling. And she looked at this and went, I get it. And her husband got it. And she, one of a sort of a partner-in-law, for want of a better phrase, um, said, yeah, I've been to church a little bit. I never understood that. And then her dad, who lived there too, he came out with, well, what do we do? Yeah. And I'm going, uh-oh, I'm in the middle of the book of Acts. It's just how it felt. Part of me is going, hey, you guys, I haven't finished my seven-story series. You know, I'm only up to week five. Actually, it was only week four when I thought about it afterwards. And so I talked to them about what they did and how they could talk to Jesus and talk to them about baptism. And the next comment was, well, when do we do that? And I said, well, I heard the bath running, so we could do it now. And they went up for that, I think because someone was in the bath. Um, But that was Thursday night, so Saturday, lunchtime, we were up at their MRI, their, their area, um, and down at the creek and baptising them. So I baptised Ed, the dad, and said, stay here, and got Shane, the husband, down, and two of us baptised him. Then I walked out and stood on the bank and said, right, you baptise the next two. Wow. And so we went from there, and that was the starting point really into what has become a major factor of the work I've been doing, which was working with Maori folk up here in the far north of New Zealand. And that's been a an ongoing work over the last six and a bit years. Um, and
0: the Maori, are uh, the Indigenous people of New Zealand, yep. uh, I guess they're Polynesians, is that right?
1: Yep, Polynesian background. Um, very very a God-aware culture, you know, that they're open to to spiritual things, very spiritual culture from that point of view, like a lot of the Polynesians are. Um, In the very early days of missionary work in New Zealand, a huge response to the gospel, but a whole lot of stuff like wars over land and everything like that sort of killed a lot of that. And so now while there's various married groups that you couldn't say they're any different from the rest of New Zealand in terms of there's not a lot of Christians there but yeah this was really interesting and it just went from there because they turned around and started talking to their family members they worked in a kiwi Fruit pruning gang uh, which was mostly family and so there's all sorts of fun stories that come out of what they did while they were pruning and talking to each other and sharing the good news and sharing what had happened in their lives and i got invited to go for lunch one time at work so i I go to work with them and I have lunch and I get introduced to all these people. This is, you know, sitting under a kiwifruit vine on an orchard. And I'm leaning against the van and this bloody comes up and leans alongside me and says, Brian, would you do a Bible study with me? Now, I've only just met her. And I say, yeah, why? And she says, well, I've been talking to Amy and we've been talking about some deep stuff and I don't know anything about the Bible. So can you do a study with me? I've already organized for so-and-so and and -and so-and-so to come with us and do it too. She'd obviously heard from Amy that I like to work in groups. So, you know, it took another six weeks to put it together. But here's the next group Mm. sort of on my lap. Now, I was trying to get Amy to lead it. And she said, Brian, it's my mother and my aunts. No, I'm not going to lead it. Mm. But so I did the first part and then she went from there with it. But that was the next step on.
0: Okay. And so the, the gospel has spread out through the family network and have churches been started out of that?
1: Yeah, yeah we've, we've had, had them planted oh, all over the place. I was planning on the far north, but we've even had groups go further and down. Um, we've had them in Kayo, which is 20 minutes north of me, Marewa, which is 30 minutes south from here. We've had them here in Kirikiri. We've had that. We've seen... Probably the easiest way to sum it up was 18 months later, after I first met Amy, I'm talking to her and she says, Brian, since I decided to follow Jesus, I've seen 15 of my whanau, my extended family, become Christians and I've had the joy of baptising four of them. And at that point, I'm going, I think this might be working.
0: Mm.
1: Now, you know, I wanted to see how to make disciples who make disciples. And that's what we were seeing happen. Um, Through that grouping, we've got down to fourth generation disciples. Um, We've had at one stage there, a third generation group. We also, with a different story and a different set of people, saw a really interesting um, group stuff happen. In my pastoral deal. I was just out visiting a new person in the church, her and her sister. And I mentioned the fact that I like to you know, encourage people to disciple others, but a lot of Christians say, I can't disciple people because I've never been discipled myself. And she said, that's me. And I said, well, you know, I'd love to come and sit in and do Bible studies and train people up. And she said, count me in. So we started the next week doing the Bible studies that we use. And it was three weeks in and she already had two groups started because at the end of the first group, she said, Oh, well, this is pretty easy. I can do this. And I said, yeah, you can. So off she went. Now one of the groups was a bit like a car blinker, you know, it was on, it was off, it was on, it was off, you know, but the other one was pretty stable, but a little bit later on, a niece and a nephew from two different families said to her, auntie, you should start something online. That's where we live. And she said, Oh, okay. Now she's part of a big family. 16 brothers and sisters with a big Facebook family group. And so she just stuck up this notice. I'm going to start an online Bible study on discipleship. Anyone interested, let me know. And she got 20 positive responses, wow. out of which, as far as she knew, only six of them were Christian. And this is is this pre-pandemic? Oh, yeah, way back. This is six years ago. Okay. This is when it when it didn't happen online. Nothing happened yeah. online. But no, she was doing it. And so She sort of tried to find a time and did that. And when they first started, there were six of them, four non-Christians, two Christians, and she started. And within a couple of weeks, one of the nieces was going, auntie, I think I need to get baptised. And she said, well, your aunt's closer. She's down the road. She's got a river. Go and get that done. And so it just sort of started from there. Now, out of that online group, we ended up with three physical groups down country from here, scattered across New Zealand. So... I started with a training group with her, she started two physical groups, then she starts this online group, and out of that online group, which was probably the most successful of all she started there, we had three physical groups start. And I'm sitting there again going, well, I didn't expect that one, Mm -hmm. you know, that was sort of not in what I was looking at or expecting, something like that, but it happened, and I learned, you know, my mindset was I was going to work up here in the far north. But when you work along people's networks, it ends up wherever the networks end up, and that's been my experience. Most of the stuff we've done has been simply working through people's networks. Well, we did that for a, a fair while. We've had, you know, groups start and other people start groups and that. And I, I one of the things I struggled with was training leaders. Now, I've really been blessed with a lot of help from a lot of folk overseas who've done it because i couldn 't find anybody in New zealand so i've talked all around the world to 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 yourself to bill Smith to um, Ben I'm sure, I'm a cost should I say um, yeah. back, I can know another one army cost and um I connected up with Chuck Ward at some stage and all that sort of stuff um but they kept saying to me, oh, the leadership building's in the process. It's, it's, you know, you just do this. And I, I didn't get it. I couldn't see how I was doing it because I was seeing stuff happen and I was seeing leaders arrive, but it was just happening. I wasn't, didn't have an intentional deal with it. So I had to learn the whole deal of how to make leaders out of the harvest in the process when their lives are still a mess, but hey, they're showing up as the leaders and like Amy, the first one I, I started with, she has become a a strong, strong leader. But Firstly, when I was thinking, I thought, well, it should be her dad. Culturally, it should be her dad by age, but that wasn't it. And when I heard the extended family were saying, well, you know, when we want something done, you know, we talked to Amy, I thought, okay, I give in, you know, and started working there. And it, it took me a bit to work out the whole model and assist and watch that stuff before I sort of started triggering, oh, okay, this is how to do it. This is what I'm doing. I learned very strongly in the early days and on that what you model is what you get. If you're the only Christian these people know, they're looking at you thinking, this is how it goes. You know, and you're thinking, "Mm -hmm, okay, right, you know, Paul said, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ, but I did not think I was quite up to labeling it that way. Um, But, you know, like the way I prayed became the way they prayed. I got asked one time very early on, um, well, what about all the rules, Brian? What about all the rules? And I knew what they meant, but I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, I got told, my friends tell me, if I become a Christian, I can't smoke, I can't drink, I've got to stop swearing, I can't do this, I can't do that, I must do this, I must give, I must, you know, and she listed off all these things. And I said, oh, forget all them, you know. I reckon I can sum up everything Jesus wants us to do as his followers In six words. And then I paused and they looked at me and went, Well. And so I said, It's easy. It's love God, love people, make disciples. If you remember those six things, do those six six words well, remember those six words, do those three things. You're doing everything that Jesus wants you to do as his followers. It sums up the whole deal. And they went, Oh, okay. And you know, we repeated that a bit on the way through. And then we had a time when um, Amy's mother-in-law and sister-in-law came up to celebrate a birthday, and they sort of sat in the kitchen while we were doing the Bible study and that, and I said, to Shane, introduce me. And so I get introduced, and the sister looks up and says, oh, when are we doing this Bible study? Well, we'd have just done it for an hour and a half. Um, and so I looked at Amy and Shane, and they sort of nodded, and I said, oh, let's go do one now. So 9 o'clock at night, we went off to do another one. And we start out, and very soon she this sister-in-law comes out with, well, what about all the rules? And Amy started laughing. And I said, go on, tell her. And she did a perfect mm. replica. Well, we believe that everything Jesus wants us to do and what I had been saying and what I would taught, she reproduced it exactly down to the pause. You know? And I just sat there and thought, whoa, what you model is what you get. And I've had to learn and learn how to utilise that fact. Like if I want... If I'm expecting someone to do something and they're not doing it, it's probably because I haven't modeled it enough for them to watch and to see and then help them start doing it. So that was a, a big step for me and a big learning was the, the power of modeling because, yeah, when you're a pastor, you're used to teaching and that's it. You're leaving it at that. You've got 100 people, 120, 150 growing. Yay, it's neat. But, you know, you teach and that's it. I know I've discipled a lot of people one-on-one, awful lot of people, and but that's using everything that I can do with my teaching gifts and my abilities. Now I'm having to learn how to disciple someone so they can turn around and do exactly the same thing with someone else in such a way that they can turn around and do exactly the same thing. So what I did had to be very different than what I could do. It had to be something that was simple enough that they could do it. And I had to model it in a simple way. So, you know, the highest tech I've used for years has been pen and paper. You know, I have PowerPoints and I have the data projectors and I have all that stuff. But in a lot of this work out in the harvest, I don't use it. I just reuse use, Bibles and a pen and paper. And maybe for seven weeks, we've got one piece of paper with two sides printed on it. You know, it's dead simple. I had to learn to get it simple. That was one of my big learnings. I found I had to unlearn a lot before I could learn. Mm. And now I'm in a different phase of things because about two years back, God and I had a little conversation that went basically like this. Brian, you have this belief that wherever you go, you'll find prepared people waiting. And I'm going, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think. And God said to me, you realize I've got prepared people in the church too? And I went, okay, because I had focused purely on the harvest. I was out there with the non-Christians. It was much easier. It was more fun. Hey, let's get on and do this, you know, focus on this and see them get saved and see their lives get totally transformed. Hey, this is what I'm doing. I've got the other half of my life where I'm working with the Christians, but this stuff I'm doing with the non-Christians. But now he's starting to talk to me about doing stuff in church. Now, I talked to a few pastors about what I was doing, but. Not a lot, but uh, two years ago that started to ramp up, and I did it with a few churches and found out that what I was doing transferred to other people. It wasn't just me. I've done stuff. You
0: you were training in those other churches?
1: Yeah, they'd they'd get a group together, and I'd go and train the group. So usually it was six to eight people, small deal like that, small churches up here. Um, And I'd go through the seven stories I use and teach them the evangelistic stuff in the same time and teach them the discovery Bible study stuff by doing it. Hey, modelling, you know, show them how it works. And then January this year, I actually retired from being the Baptist pastor. We'd had the work with the Baptist church and connected with that, but almost as a separate deal was a um, a large work with folk from Vanuatu who come down here to work in our horticultural industry. And so for the last 10 years, we've been going up to Vanuatu, taking teams up of trained elders and pastors. We planted a church in a Catholic-dominated island that where they didn't really understand the gospel. So we planted a church there with 25 people, not bad for four or five days' work. And, you know, that sort of stuff, working with folk, training them up, teaching them how to do this stuff. Um, so we had the Church Baptist Church stuff, we had the Vanuatu stuff, and we had the sort of disciples making disciples and small groups studying churches type work, and it was just getting a little bit too much, as my wife puts it. So being sensible, we gave up the paid job, and now we, COVID has pretty much killed the Vanuatu stuff at the moment. We certainly can't go back up there at the moment, and we've got a limited access with them here, um, so. The focus has been very much on working through New Zealand and connecting with other Christians, existing churches, and folk who are wanting to get more training. Um, I partner up with Church Army, which is an evangelistic side to the Anglican Church, um, with Monica, the director for Church Army in New Zealand, and through some of her contacts and contacts I've had. Last August, I preached, preached. I did some stuff at a seminar um, down near Wellington, and that's led to a lot of contacts. And so now... It's been growing and growing and growing in terms of contacts. We seem to get a new one sort of about once every two, three weeks that gets hold of me and goes, Brian, we've heard about, we want this. Or someone rings me up and says, Brian, you need to give this guy a ring. And I say, well, you send him an email telling him who I am and I'll give them a ring, you know, a lot of that. So <clears throat> we started out where I had a couple of other churches up here I'd worked with, well, three <clears throat> that I'd worked with and two of them were off doing their own thing and one I was keeping going with. Um and it just grew during lockdown, it grew quite rapidly. Lockdown actually was a positive from that point of view. Everybody was available on Zoom sort of thing. We did stuff. Monica and I sent out an invitation to an Zoom meeting to sort of all our contacts and had 29 people arrive. All people who were wanting to know how to make disciples who make disciples and I followed up all of those and yeah, we've now, my last count, and I don't think I've forgotten anyone at the moment. We're up to 34 different situations across New Zealand from Dunedin and the south right up to here. Very different. Some of them are fairly new believers who are just getting started and doing stuff. Others of them are believers who have been going for a while but got frustrated with not seeing anything happen. So they've been looking around and not been able to help them do stuff to churches that I've worked with. I was down three, four weeks ago in Wellington with a vineyard church down there. I've got another group that I've worked with, a vineyard in Christchurch. So we've got about, I think, four or five different denominations we're working with and a few smaller independent churches around the place. So all very different situations. Some of them may not work out to be you know anything, but others have just taken off. Way beyond what and, I thought would happen.
0: And a year ago, um, you weren't in contact with most of them.
1: Yep. Out of those 34, I would have been in contact with about three. Mm. Maybe, maybe small contact with some of them because some I followed up on people who said at the conference in Wellington – Oh, you know, really, really, you know, interested in what you're doing, and you know, I said, well, here, send me an email, and they did, but it never happened anywhere. So I, I followed some more, and some of them just turned out to be just God's time to be talking to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey in the last well since January because it's gone a lot faster than what I expected it to happen, and with the Vanuatu side shutting down and not been able to go up there and that sort of stuff. Um, And one way it's been good because we've had the time to do it. I would say one of the things I've had to learn and that has changed me a lot is to keep stuff simple. And I've had to learn to let go of control of things. When I first started, I was going to have everybody in a database and they'd all have a number and we'd keep track of it because I'm a computer guy and that's how I think and do things. And I've had to learn to say, well, God... This one's yours, way it goes, and watch him do stuff. I've had to learn to raise my expectations of what I do in discipling because I was like most of us in the West, I was discipling in terms of teaching people stuff, transferring knowledge. And now I'm trying to teach people to obey and put it into practice. And that change has been a big change in my life, how I think, how I see things, how I view things, what I'm looking for in people. Um, I certainly have been driven to pray because, you know, the stuff that I've seen happening just, man, you've got to pray. You've got to be praying. Otherwise it's, it's not going to keep happening and you're not going to keep up and you, know, you can't keep up anyway. You just have to pray, God, help me do the right things every day and let's see what happens. I've I've always had a passion for the lost, but I've often argued with God, Hey, you gave me the passion, but I'm not really an evangelist because I'm not. I have to choose every day when I do this. Every time I'm going off to speak to a non-Christian, there's a there's a choice factor for me. I know these evangelist types who can't keep their mouth shut. Um, they it just flows out of them. Me, I choose. And now I used to what I used to argue, You haven't given me the gift. Well, I, I may still not have the gift, but people say, that, hey, the people are getting saved, you must have it. Who knows? But what I do know is that I've found that when we do things the way Jesus did things, we're a lot more effective. In simple terms, I want to get it to the point where the gospel's got out to everyone. That's really what I'd love to see. I'd, I'd love to get to the point where we can say, look, Lord, everybody's heard the gospel Everybody's win cooey of some live, vibrant church that's out there reproducing. We've finished. I can retire. You know, that would be fun to be able to say that to the Lord hey, we've done it. We've got to everybody. We've talked to them. Not that they've all responded positively, but at least they've all had a chance to hear. I'm working on getting guys to look after or take responsibility for areas of New Zealand because the way it's growing, I'm never going to keep up individually. So we're going to have to have. Folks spread out who are trained up, who are prepared to lead, who can do that. But really, I'd love to see it so that wherever you are in New Zealand, there's a live, vibrant, disciple making, reproducing church close to you and they're after you. That'd be what I'd be. That'd be a nice place to get to.
0: Well, thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the Movements podcast, why don't you spread the word? Let someone else know who'd like to listen in. It really helps. This is Steve Addison for the Movement's Podcast.